0: But that was kind of like my turning point. Leaving a job and having no money, like I drained my retirement savings and Uh. started this business. I had no money. For me, like the motivation has always been to work remotely. You know how people kind of have all these different motivators. Some people it's money, some people it's time, some people it's just to have time with their kids. For me, it's always been to work from my laptop. I want to be able to work wherever I'm traveling or I'm at anywhere. That's all I really was laser focused on was get me out of this nine to five. I didn't even care if I made $1,000 a month or $10,000 a month. I just wanted to be working from home and from my laptop.
1: Hey, welcome to the business of being. My name is Paul Casmus, and I believe that everyone is on a path in life. Growing up, I always loved stories that involved showing someone's origins. You know, movies like Kill Bill, Batman Begins, Star Wars, and the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. These stories captivated my interest, seeing the growth of the character through their struggles, challenges, and victories along the way. I speak with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and business owners about their life and business to learn what it takes to be successful and to discover their unique hero's journey. The conversations will enlighten you on the right mindsets for overcoming any obstacle you might face to help guide you on your unique path in business. Today, I'm talking with Taylor McMaster, owner of Dot & Company. A self-starter, Taylor knew she wanted to own a digital marketing business, leading to her true passion, client account management. Soon, Taylor knew this was a service every agency needed, full service account managers who acted as a liaison between agency owners and clients. Now, Taylor leads a team of client account managers through Dot & Company, training the account managers to work with different agencies so that the agency owners can focus on scaling their business while Dot takes care of the clients. Taylor's got such an amazing story, and I think her business model is so niche and specific. It's absolutely brilliant and genius. And I've worked with her and her team uh, with some uh, few different agencies, and they know what's up. They got it together, and they are such an amazing group of people, uh, just absolutely doing amazing things. So enjoy this conversation with Taylor. Lots of gold nuggets of pure wisdom. So enjoy. I know you from the mastermind and from being on your podcast and, and yeah. all the great stuff you're doing, but yeah, kind of curious like how you got started professionally and what, what took you to, you know, starting dot
0: and company. Yeah. Great question. So I've been in marketing what feels like for my whole life. I've always been very entrepreneurial. So Growing up, a lot of my family members are entrepreneurs, so it just kind of came naturally. So I had, you know, dog walking businesses and card making businesses growing up. So I always knew I wanted to own my own business. But when I went to university, I actually went originally to study to be a teacher. And then the summer going to university, my father-in-law was like, what are you doing? You should be in marketing. Like, you're so creative you you're like you're already doing marketing for all these people like just do that. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go into business. So, I did, and where I'm from in Nova Scotia, Canada, we're a small province in the East Coast and it's kind of known that marketing jobs are really hard to find and good ones are hard to find especially kind of where we live. So, when going into marketing, everyone was telling me like, "Oh, you're going to have to move away from home, you're going to have to move to Toronto or somewhere else outside of Canada. And I was just kind of like, oh, like I didn't didn't really realize that. So throughout university, I kind of did all the extracurriculars, did the co-op programs and all that stuff, just to kind of give myself that edge. And then after graduating, I landed what I thought was my dream job, working in a liquor company uh, here in Nova Scotia. So everyone was like, oh, how did you get a job in marketing, you know, and it, it was one of those full circle moments. But after a couple of years doing the cubicle life, I realized that the entrepreneur spirit was still there and I knew I wouldn't last in the corporate world as most agency owners probably say. So I left and I started working with my family's company in marketing and even that wasn't an entre- entrepreneurial enough for me. So I just bit the bullet and I quit and I started my own digital marketing agency. Had no idea what I was doing, but I knew enough about marketing and I luckily got a few clients and just kind of worked my way through that. And then kind of a couple of years ago, I was at a mastermind in Fiji. And this is when my business really pivoted because I went there thinking I didn't belong there. I didn't really want to kind of grow my digital marketing agency. I was like, Oh, this isn't for me. I don't love building landing pages and running Facebook ads. I can do it, but it's, not what i like i don't like to be behind the scenes i wanted to talk to clients and i wanted to be the front-facing person so i spoke to everyone at this mastermind and they were all like why don't you just focus on that like we need i'll hire you i'll hire you i need this in my agency and that's when dot and company was born three years ago so it was kind of one of these long-winded things but it was you know when you think about things that are happening for you as you go along throughout your career. It just kind of lands you where you're meant to be.
1: That's amazing. And I guess as far as I've known you, you probably had Dot and Company. Maybe I thought at some point you had pivoted, but maybe it was just as I knew more about you and your business and seeing exactly what Dot Company does and focus on And, and just wrapping my head around it. Like, wait, this is a what now? And it's just a very specific niche uh, and, and fulfillment of a need that a lot of a lot of folks have. I'm, I'm curious about your time in that that cubicle job. Like, what was that like? And I just and how did you know? What was that maybe point where you're like, I got to get the fuck out of here? And yeah, start my own thing.
0: Yeah. So it's funny. The role was actually very similar to a client account manager, what we do. So it was very much so the hub of the whole entire marketing department. I was responsible for basically keeping everything running smoothly and being like the face of the department. So essentially what I do now all day, every day, and what I train people to do. But being in a cubicle, as you know, it's like, 9 to eight thirty to four thirty plus whether you're feeling creative or not you have to sit there and the turning point for me was one day I was I had stepped out for a meeting for the company and I was downtown for like two hours or three hours and I got back to my desk and the girl in the cubicle next to me that was responsible for vacation and god love her she was the sweetest person it's her job but I got an email that said you didn't tell me you were on vacation today and I was like I was out at a meeting, like this is not how the world should work. Like you should trust me. You should know that what I'm doing is the best for the business. And I just kind of realized that that lifestyle, just wasn't for me. I needed a little bit more time freedom. I'm very much so someone who is really good at getting my work done and quickly. So I don't need to be sitting at a desk nine to five every day. But that was kind of like my turning point.
1: I think that's such an antiquated thing I feel like Rona has really brought that to life and it's kind of been a theme of I guess just anything I, I talk about the last few months not just on the podcast but just with people in general and when you say vacation did she mean like well you stepped out for two hours where were you type of thing or because I was thinking yeah. like wait yeah, yeah you were gone for two three hours that's not a vacation
0: <laughs> no like she thought like I was gone so uh,
1: and yeah, then yeah. I didn't
0: tell her it was vacation yeah so I was just like you know, it's just a trust thing. It's like, you have to be sitting at your desk to be considered working. And like in the real world, you and I both know that we're thinking about work. We're on our phone. We're answering emails late at night. We're we're working really hard. So if we're out at a meeting and people think we're just slacking off and not being honest, like I just realized that that was kind of not where I wanted to be.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Have you ever done one of those like personality tests I think, I I don't know which one I did. I feel like most of them are kind of similar, but I scored very high on the, does not listen to authority (laughs) type of thing, which was, I guess, not shocking. If you knew me growing up, I mean, even to this day, like I follow the rules, I do what I'm told. I'm not, maybe not as agreeable as I once was, but I'm like, well, I guess that checks out being an entrepreneur, but working with, if I'm working with certain people, like a lot of people we know, I'm like, did you tell me what to do? I'm going to do it because I mm-hmm. like that kind of certainty. But uh, I'm curious if if you've if you've had a similar personality trait. <laughs>
0: yeah, I have done a number of them, and they all kind of say similar things. I get bored really easy. I'm very creative. I need to be kind of on my own terms, like like entrepreneur to a T, and like don't like to be put in a box of like this is what you can do, can't do like as marketers like we're naturally creative so having to kind of sit in a little box cubicle have rules around us just doesn't <laughs> doesn't really work well or not in the long term generally
1: no not at all well so after your your liquor job was when you you worked for the family business for a little bit and then yep. you and the, and then you you quit that as well to start I guess, would it be the first iteration of Dot and Company? Yes. Or was it a different name?
0: So it was called Dot Marketing. Fun fact, Dot was my grandmother's name. Her name's Dorothy. So she was alive at the time when I started Dot Marketing. So we named it after her because her nickname's Dot. And then I wanted to keep that going with Dot and Company. So as we kind of grow and start to create different arms of our business, it'll probably keep that same name. But yeah, so I left the family business, started doing digital marketing. I just kind of started falling into the whole like how to build landing pages, click funnels, like the whole thing and social media marketing and yeah, like writing copy, everything. And I still do have a number of clients from that day, but it's it's good. Like I kept the ones that I really like and, and now what we're doing for you know, we work with agencies doing client account management, that is 100% where I was meant to land. And that just comes like so naturally, and it's fun. And uh, we get to really work with agencies. So it was kind of growing a business, of course, is, is challenging, especially at the beginning, like figuring out who you are. But I just, I feel like once you're in flow with what you're meant to be doing, it just, it just feels right.
1: That flow is, is huge. And I, I want to talk about that more, but I'm curious in general on from what you had said on how people were talking to you about, hey, get into marketing, but you know, you're going to have to do this, that, and the third, you can't stay in Nova Scotia from that to the family business. Was there a point after, or from the liquor business to the family business into your own thing, was there ever a point when there's like a lot of, I guess not say haters, because a lot of people mean very well, especially those close to us but did you get a lot of kind of like concerned questions and comments from people that are like, Taylor, like, you know, what are you doing? You, know, <laughs> what, you you had a great job. Then you worked at your, your family business. And now you're wanting to do something else. Like, come on now. Was there anything like that?
0: To be honest, most people were very, very like happy for me. And maybe they said stuff on my back. I don't know. I did have one person who was very like, that's risky to start your own business and da-da-da. And I just ignored. And that person is still in the same spot that they were five years ago. But yeah, like I think people weren't surprised that I was doing it just because I do come from a lot of entrepreneurs and it's not scary. And I I'm kind of a risk taker. So I think people weren't surprised, but maybe I was just so into it that I didn't even hear any of the negative things that people may have said, because I was just laser focused. This is what I'm doing. Like, I don't really care what you think. So to be honest, I don't know if people, yeah. yeah.
1: No, that's good. I mean, that's, that's super tough to deal with. And the other side of that is, you know, what is, what was kind of your own inner dialogue and, you know, Doubting yourself, or maybe you were just like, "No, nope, I'm super confident." And I've talked to some folks that are like that, and it's and that's cool to see. That's it. part of why I love just chatting with people and hearing how they come, but or how they come up in, in the world of, of starting their business. But was yeah. it mentally, like, was it a mental like grappling and wrestling with kind of doubt and fear and all that oh, going yeah. from the family into the new into your new? Yeah,
0: business? like leaving a job and having no money, like. I drained my retirement savings and started this business. I had no money. Luckily, my partner still had his full-time job. So that was like the safety net. And we also had started renting out kind of a basement apartment in our house on Airbnb. So we had a little bit of money and I was just like willing to do whatever it took. And for me, like the motivation has always been to work remotely you know, how people kind of have all these different motivators. Some people it's money, some people it's time, some people it's just to have time with their kids. For me, it's always been to work from my laptop. And 99% of the time I'm sitting at my house and it, you know, that's what it is. But I want to be able to work wherever I'm traveling or I'm at anywhere. And so that's all I really was laser focused on was get me out of this nine to five and, I want to just work from home and I didn't even care if I made a thousand dollars a month or $10,000 a month. I just wanted to be working from home and from my laptop. And so once I kind of got to that point, I was like, okay, everything else is, is gravy. Cause I think that was kind of my motivating factor. And obviously things change now once you kind of have those things checked off. But yeah, that was, that was the biggest thing for me was just to get to that point.
1: And and I think I feel like I love that because I've yet to talk to somebody who's like, yeah, I started this business because I wanted to make 10 grand a month or 20 grand a month. And I wanted to be filthy rich. Like I don't think anyone ever gets into it for that. Of course, the, the freedom of, of income and kind of having it uncapped and being able to explore it is, is, is amazing. But almost like the common theme with a lot of entrepreneurs is it's like they want to prove something to themselves. They want to accomplish something to support a lifestyle and at least those are the ones that seem to be the most happy and find fulfillment in what they do versus folks that are like man like every day's a struggle and my business is like a, a jail because they're trying to i don't know maybe maybe do something that isn't fully aligned and maybe they're not in that flow i mean to go back to some with that point you made Why are you in business if it's not to support a lifestyle that you want to have? And especially if you're doing it just because you think it's cool Mm
0: -hmm. to be
1: your own boss. Like being your own boss like kind of (laughs) sucks.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of baggage that comes with it. But I think you're right. Like what you said is the lifestyle thing. And I think a lot of people don't think about that as much as they should. Because the lifestyle means this is something that you're doing every single day. And it has to fit with how you want to live your days, because I know everyone says money doesn't make you happy. Money does make you happy if it fits your lifestyle. But you really have to think about what that lifestyle looks like, because what yours, your ideal day is going to be different than mine. And, you know, I live in the North Pole and I don't want to be here in the winter. And so my lifestyle choice is to work remotely and make enough money that I can travel and get out of the snow. And obviously coronavirus changed that, but you know, like that was a huge motivator for me. I don't like the winter. So my job now can fulfill that. But for some people it's not that, maybe it's financial, maybe it's they're a hundred thousand dollars in debt and they need to pay that off and they wanna live this lush lifestyle, That's, that's different. And I think, like you said, like lifestyle is so important to consider when you're thinking about having your own business because it's so much more than just being your own boss. It's, it's every day.
1: Yeah. And I don't think, I feel like that to that point, like if, if someone was starting to thinking of starting a business, maybe it's someone, you know, right out of college or really at any age, it's like, well, wh- why do you want to do it? Like, well, to be my own boss, like, well, you should probably rethink that. Cause you like, do you know what that really means yeah. of who you're, you're still accountable to yourself and to the people who are paying you, Money in yep. a way, your your clients are kind of your boss. Now you can set the right expectations and manage them well. But like that, it's it's almost like this fantasy. I feel like that a lot of people get sold, and then they find themselves in a position like oh, this isn't what I wanted to
0: be. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't realize that when you start your own business, you might be sign- signing up because you love marketing, but you're also the HR, you're the accountant, the lawyer, the admin, the answering the phones, answering the emails, hiring firing, billing, you know, like everything that you don't realize that you actually have to do when you start a business, it can be really overwhelming. So I think you have to have bigger motivators than just being a boss.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Why Why, why is that something to strive for? Like boss exactly. is such a, a terminology that I've never loved. It's, you know, one of those like eight things from the eighties and nineties, like, oh, my boss. Yeah. That I can't or whatever. Yeah. Um, curious, if you were able to have... Traveled this winter to get out of the North Pole, where would you have gone? Oh,
0: anywhere hot.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely a hot person. We had a few trips planned. Where were we going? Mexico, San Diego, Europe for a honeymoon, supposed uh-huh. to have a wedding, all those things. But you know what? I think it. Gave us an appreciation for home and I can survive winter and it is okay. But like my lo- long-term goal is to split kind of the year, like half traveling summer warm and then half here in Nova Scotia.
1: That's amazing. And that's, I mean, that's, that's that lifestyle you were saying. And it's not just, uh, you know, working from the beach. I mean, if you're living somewhere for half the year, you can you know, set up those routines and things that like make a home a home as opposed to just being a you know long vacation. I think that's a major difference in how you just approach.
0: Yeah, like I don't necessarily want to be like a digital nomad and live, you know, in hostels every night. But I, you know, I think how, like you said, a routine that's that's the goal. Like relocation versus yeah. vacation.
1: Yeah. Well, if you, if you make it somewhere next year, well, I'm, <laughs> cu- I'm always curious what, yeah, where you're at. It'd be fun. Okay. So your, your Fiji trip was the turning point, which I didn't, I didn't realize until now of pivoting from dot marketing to now dot and company, like, I guess a rebrand, you know, similar name. And then, yeah, curious what that transition was like once you made that decision to, pivot your company and and focus on client account management.
0: Yeah. So I left Fiji with two new clients and I just kind of said to myself, look, it's just me right now. I have some contractors, but full-time it's just me working at dot marketing. I'm going to bust my ass and take on these couple new agencies and prove the concept that I can be a client account manager and do a really good job in both of these agencies while still running my business at the same time. So I came home and spent four months doing this and building systems and processes and just kind of figuring out what, what the real pain points were within these agencies. And then after Fiji, just kind of the word of mouth got out that Taylor does account management. You should call her. So I had all these people reaching out and I just knew I could either, I kind of had to make this decision was, I can freelance and just do it for just do it myself forever and you know work from my laptop work full time make good money or I can take this opportunity and grow it into an actual agency. And so luckily at that pivoting point someone that I really wanted to hire ended up getting let go from their job and the day before I was going to post this job description She called me upset that she got let go. And I was like, well, let's meet for coffee because I think the universe is telling us something here. So that's when I hired Katie was that day. And it was my first employee. And any business owner knows the first employee is the hardest. And so I hired her. And then over three or four months, we scaled up. Then we hired Emma on our team. And we started to grow and kind of bring on more employees from there. So yeah, it was, it was kind of one. it felt really slow at the time, but it was very much so prove concept before doing anything. And I, I really believe in that, like really understand who the audience is, do a really good job yourself and then start to grow from there.
1: Yeah. And to have, make sure the infrastructure is there, is it, is it valid or is it just like a couple of these folks? And then, yeah, just seeing the demand of people like, well, Hey, you need this. I go talk to Taylor, which is such an amazing thing about niching. Do you have, is it a mix of employees and contractors that you've got?
0: Yeah. Yeah. How many of
1: each do you have?
0: So we have four full-time and four contractors. So because we're in Canada and we have people outside of Canada, naturally it's a contractor model. And then for some, it's just kind of how we set it up because for me, the biggest thing in our agency is that I want it to be the opposite—the opposite of a corporate feeling business. So I don't like the feeling of having a full-time employee and having to max them out until the point where they're not fulfilled. Like I want people to have a little bit of say in terms of how much work they want to take on. So for some people, we have kind of more of that contractor model because it it gives them a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit, but still being inside of our dot and co family. But yeah, it's, it's an equal mix. And I think it'll continue to look like that as we scale, just depending on the roles and, and what we need in the business and who the people are.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, I know well, I'm, I'm just curious of, of your model guy. Right? Cause I think it's, it's brilliant. You could, would, would you think of yourself almost like a staffing company where with these contractors where you train them and then you're getting the, the, the clients and then kind of placing them into maybe one of them or depending on like what you were saying with their workload and what they want to take on, maybe one of these contractors is with, I don't know, one to three agencies and you can handle all the payments and all that back end stuff. But is that more or less how at least what the contractors look?
0: Yeah, like textbook, it is kind of that model. So how we work is, Carly on our team, full-time job is to hire and find really great talent. So she's on the phone with agencies and also on the phone with potential client account managers and making sure that this is going to work. So when we're hiring, we're hiring people who will work with DOT. So they have to have our values, our work ethic, our personality types, in order to even come in to work with DOT. And then the agencies that we look for have certain criteria too. They have to have really good values. They have to have great clients. They have to be really good agency owners to even kind of work with us. So it's similar to a staffing model in a sense, but we have a very robust hiring system and a very robust kind of sales process to come work with us.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. You're, you're, you're screening these agencies for, you know, values, culture fit for the, the cam that they're going to work with. And it's like, you know what? You seem like a jerk. So I'm going to oh, yeah. not work with you um, and subject someone to your jerkiness.
0: Yeah, because we keep these clients for years. So if we're kind of matching a cam with an agency owner that we don't think is very nice, it won't last long, which isn't the goal.
1: No. How often does that has that come up? I'm just curious, like what an experience where you've talked to someone, been like, "Dude, I don't know, this is not a fit."
0: <laughs> it happens. Generally, they slip through the cracks. Sometimes they actually do end up working with us, and then we just kind of, you know, after a few months, it just it's if the values aren't there, it won't last, like in any business. But we have really, really good kind of referral networks who are referring people to us who are just really awesome and just like us. So I would say the majority of people are really nice and really awesome. The only people who are not are kind of those random cold leads who are just kind of, we don't know them. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: What what uh, what are some of your values at Dot?
0: Yeah, so from an employee standpoint, you, we call it Dot Vibes. And it's, it's one of these like intangibles that's really hard to even like nail down. But it's, you have to be very personable. Like you have to have that like trust when you know when you speak to someone and you just automatically trust them and you just are like, I like I would give you my firstborn child. That is kind of that's kind of like the vibes. So they have to be really hardworking. They have to have really great like person to person skills. And they just have to come from a background of like really enjoying working with people because that's literally our, our job is to manage clients and and keep relationships. And then from the agency standpoint, they have to have the values of, you know, they have to have, be able to give the reins to someone else. Like they have to trust us to work with their clients and they have to just be very open in terms of their communication and things like that.
1: And how do you hire for that? I'm so I'm so fascinated by that because I feel like you've if there's a code to it, you've cracked that code from the the cams that I've met on your team. What stands out to me is that it's like it's a everyone's got like this vibe of being just like putting me at ease. Like I know they're gonna handle it. It's a very calming way of of I guess just interaction. But that I, I totally know what you mean on that, like, yeah, I just know they're gonna handle it. I trust them. I was and I was thinking of my previous business where I hired, I had some amazing folks. I, my, like hiring, recruiting, and training was like my all-time favorite thing. And there was a couple, we were like, hey, who's the GOAT? Me and like the other full-time guys where we're looking at our part-time staff of like 30. Like, well, the people who are in the greatest all-time category, I'm like, well, I don't know anything specific that they did that was just far and away better, but it was just consistent, good work. And then a couple, one employee who's, you know, like she was a senior in college, she worked like one and a half seasons for us and like was immediately in that conversation. I'm like, what made her so great? She didn't say much. She was just, she just did what she did, but she had that vibe of, I don't know if I, if I get Danielle to do something or if I ask her to do something, she's going to just do it. And I'm like, why is that so uncommon? And how do, how do you find and screen for that? Because people are going to tell you, yeah, I'm a, t- I'm, a, I'm a detail-oriented person. But then when push comes to shove, a lot of times it's like, hey, do these three things. And then a day later, they're like, uh, I only did one of them. Mm-hmm. Why, why not? Why did, you know, all that kind of stuff that when it works, it feels so easy and natural but it's not as common as we think. So I guess, well, you've got that someone on your team who's doing that full time, but is that something you all have strategized on really broken down like those concepts or those personality traits that you want to look for and screen for?
0: So I feel like it's, it's kind of twofold. It's soft skills and hard skills, but also gut feeling. So in our hiring process, it's quite robust. Like, you know, we have an application. And then we have certain things in the application that you have to be very attentive to and fill out type forms and on all these things. So firstly, it's kind of your hard skills, like what's your experience and things like that. And then they come in and they have an initial coffee date with Carly. So when I kind of trained Carly on who we're looking for, it's very much so not just experience, but also just kind of like, what's up? How do they make you feel? because our job as client account managers is is to make fe- people feel a certain way and if you're on the phone with someone for 15 minute coffee date and they don't make you feel very good like it's a hard no for me and I don't I don't care like you know I don't care if they look good on paper if they make you feel shitty no So that's kind of first gut check. And then they go on to like a full assessment. So that'll show their written communication. And then we also have in there a component of a video. So they have to send us a video of themselves introducing themselves as a client account manager for DOT. So you kind of see, and it's optional. So it's like, do you go above and beyond? Are you good on camera? Are you awkward or are you are you really like good? So that comes through and then they have a proper interview with Carly again. And then it's an interview with Katie and I to kind of final gut check. And it's like all these things kind of coming together. It's like applications, written communications, hard skills, but also that, that gut feeling of how, how they really portray themselves. And then Carly's of course, looking for all the little things that they're doing. So are they sending a follow-up email to Carly? Are they sending in the video? Are they, you know, doing, checking all the boxes. So that process takes about a month. And a lot of times these people come through and their hard skills aren't kind of there yet. So then they go on to our training program and then they come back to be interviewed to see if they've kind of leveled up enough. So I would say like really understanding who you're looking for to a T, like what that, kind of avatar looks like, but then also having a really strong hiring process to weed people out.
1: That's amazing. And and I love how thorough that is. Especially with like the video stuff. Like that wouldn't be, you know, necessarily work for every business, but it's like by the definition of your work, you, you gotta, you gotta have it. And especially the gut, the gut thing. I find that If if you're looking at things in a certain way, your gut is kind of the best indicator. It's that thing like, hey, everything looks good on paper, but what it is about. And I've found that if it's not there, it's not there and nothing's going to change. Like, oh, well, that was just a one-time thing. But it's usually true.
0: Anytime I've made a hiring mistake, it's I knew in my gut I shouldn't have done it and it turned out bad. So that's when I knew. I was like, nope. Gut, gut knows.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's based on stuff. Like I've always thought of like, well, how do you train your, your gut instinct and, and know, like it kind of interpret it in the right way, but with a good process and the knowing at what point, yeah, it's like seeing those things that you just wouldn't know. And sometimes it's just those like sub communications on how, I don't know. Yeah. How people make you feel. I mean, that's, that's really the most important thing.
0: Yeah. And like, I tell my team all the time, I'm like, what does your gut tell you? Like, they'll come back and say, okay, she has this experience, this experience. I had an interview, it went well. And I say, okay, what's your gut feeling? And they'll be like, oh no. I'm like, okay. It's a no.
1: (laughs) For those folks that don't have the hard skills and and they go through your camp school, do you, you, will you give them, free access to that? Cause you're like, damn, this person's really good. Or is it like, Hey, here's cam school, it's X dollars. And that almost being a way to filter out, like how committed are they? Are they, cause I would bet if they do that and then they finish it, you're like, yeah, this person was willing to invest the, the time and money to completing it. So what does that tend to look like uh, for yeah. these folks?
0: So the majority of people, if they don't have the experience that we're looking for, we send them to camp School to pay for it themselves. And then of course, if they have invested and they go through CAM School and our interview process, then we most likely hire them. But if someone has all the experience we're looking for and we really wanna hire them, we still make everyone go through camp School. So that person would not be like, they wouldn't have to pay but we make sure everyone has a baseline camp school training just because we want to make sure everyone's kind of coming in at the same training from our side.
1: Yeah. And, and just have your process. It's, it's so unique. I can't even like, <laughs> I, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard of something like this. And it's almost like your secret sauce isn't just the, like the skills. Cause we haven't even talked about how your folks work with these agencies. It's been like how thorough and, and, you know, process oriented your, your hiring is It's like, well, if you get, if you get great people to start, I guess everything else will naturally more easily fall into, into order.
0: Yeah. If you have good people, good things happen. I mean, obviously people are going to fall through like the cracks and, and you're going to get kind of the odd person, but you just have to move on from that. And that's okay. But that just makes your hiring process in the future just that much better because you learn and then you have examples of, okay, this didn't work the last time when we did this, or we should, we should definitely screen for X, Y, Z. But yes, hiring is, is a huge component when you're in a service-based business like ours. And then our reputation is based on the people that we hire.
1: Absolutely. Well, you've done, I know you've got great folks so it definitely works. I know, well, with CAM School, I know you've, you've got that as your way to train folks and, and part of your process. Is that ever a downsell for an agency that is like, we're not going to get your full on, maybe it's not a fit for whatever reason. And then it's like, well, they use CAM School to train their own internal client account manager.
0: Yeah. So we have a whole training side of our business. People can, agencies oftentimes will purchase CAM School for their team, but also we have one-on-one coaching. So Emma on our team actually coaches client account managers. So she'll give them CAM School and meet with them and set goals and OKRs for the actual agency, set up systems and processes, and just coach them to be a premium client account manager. So oftentimes people will be in agencies when they're, you know, maybe a new grad or they don't have as much agency experience, but they need, you know, someone else outside of the agency to be like their coach. So we do that. But yeah, definitely a downsell for a number of agencies when they're not quite ready to hire us full time, but they want to level up themselves and get their hands on our systems and processes. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a great option for a lot of agencies.
1: I love that that kind of investing in, in that person. I'm, I'm always down for any type of professional development. And, and I think that's just how you keep employees and make them be as best as they can be. But almost like on an agency standpoint, I, I mean, you, I, you always run across business owners that aren't as, as you know, they're, they're more short-sighted than they should be and to their own detriment. But if you're, if you're looking at an agency then, or any type of service-based industry, account manager who's client facing is probably the most key to the longevity of that client and to your if you're looking at your client churn rate well how do you improve that well improve the relationship because uh i bet and i bet you could i mean anything can be quantified when you measure it and and it sucks to kind of quantify relationships but sometimes you can and almost necessary but it's like you could probably easily show like well here's here's when you just Trying to hit the bottom line immediately. You have some cam doing that, maybe you're not, they're not trained, maybe they're not the right fit, but you're because you're trying to just save immediately on payroll versus you know, get one that's more premium, pay them more, invest in their training uh, and continued development. Because if you can keep more clients over the course of a year or two years of the length, like that is a significant amount of money significant. Oh yeah. Massive. And the
0: less work that you have to do as the agency owner, the better. Cause you can work on new stuff. You can work on the brand and sales and all the other things that come with the running a business.
1: Mm-hmm. At what point, I guess like, cause y'all, you it's, it's client account management, but it's also just like project management. Now, when did that come kind of spark where you're like, wait, this role seems like it's that client facing, but it's actually A lot more than just client communication to and from.
0: Yeah. So when I started, like our service menu looked so different and I kind of had project management split out, but after kind of working with a number of different agencies, I realized that in order for me to do a good job or for someone on my team to do a good job, we need to manage the project. Because if I'm speaking to the client and they're asking me questions and I don't know when their project's going to be finished, well, I look silly. So I need to know you know, how the project's going. And also, like, if we can be a project manager and the client-facing account manager, that's just the best bang for your buck when it comes to an agency owner's budget for hiring. So it just makes sense for us to do a good job.
1: Yeah. Well, it's kind of, it's that it's thing that's naturally there, but it's not immediate, immediately, I guess, obvious for, for the agency owner of those roles being, specific and it's yeah the client account side but also you could say like the operational side and maybe maybe some of your cams work with you know director of operations depending on the size I don't I mean I don't think a ton of agencies have it but if they're at a certain level they probably do have some kind of operations director
0: yeah yeah we do have some so one agency that I work with I work really closely with the director of operations and We just kind of work together on things. She's more internally facing, I'm more externally facing, and it just works really well. And then for smaller agencies, we kind of have like an operations hat because we're looking out for the agency. We're making sure that things are running smoothly, you know, like, hey, did this person pay their invoice or is there, you know, anything additional that I can help with? Like we do wear a lot more hats than just client facing and project management operations is definitely a huge piece of it.
1: Where do you see Dot and company going in the next even year? we will say yeah. next one to three years.
0: Yeah, I think we've barely even tapped the surface of what we can do. We're aggressively scaling our team, which will allow us to work with more agencies. So we'd love to have a team of 30 by the end of the year. We're at about 11 or 12 right now. So kind of getting there. And then our training and product side is really exciting and fun. So that is going to be a huge component and helps a lot of different agencies who are not necessarily in the point where they need to hire us, but they need help training and optimizing their system. So scaling up that side is definitely the goal. But yeah, like I find myself getting more and more removed, so it's, it's so cool to see kind of the team just taking the vision and and growing it and hiring people and and getting new agencies on board who are really good fit. So yeah, just definitely like tightening up our internal team. Once we can go on trips, doing more kind of retreats for client account managers, but yeah, definitely going big.
1: Love that. And it's staying in the marketing agency niche or anything of expanding into other types of industries that would, you know, have a need for a similar type of person.
0: Right now, staying in the marketing space, but eventually down the road, you never know. Customer service side, social media content side would be awesome as well. Yeah, the options are endless.
1: (laughs) They, They really are. And especially and with when it's a support business for others that, you know, where they can grow and scale within their own. I'm thinking of like, you know, home services. I work with a ton of those folks, like you know, HVAC or solar or plumbers, even. And so if you've got it, if you've got a business with a ton of clients, well, then how do you manage that? And it's almost, I don't know, that that's like your resource, that's your your base. If you've got a ton of people that you've, you've worked with. Well, how do you, how do you maintain that relationship? It's almost like you're in the business of relationships. I mean, yeah. And then, then suddenly you're thinking of like millions and millions of businesses out there that you could potentially service, but yeah, it's just, I guess taking it one, one step, <laughs> yeah. tapping out the, the other, I know this space is, yeah. Cause we we're we're in the same groups of seeing how big just digital marketing can be. And especially with just this, this area of. Facebook ads or, or a digital ads in general versus those, like, I guess the more traditional agencies that have the fancy cool offices. You don't really know exactly what they do (laughs) (laughs) except for like, I don't know. They like make expensive websites and brands, but yeah, very, very interesting. All, all those uh, spots. So. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm curious. Like any any cool stories from from the street that you've got, or any kind of like hot take, or or story that's like this exemplifies my philosophy beliefs on how to approach business, whether it's your business in general or agencies or anything that might be helpful. I'm just curious.
0: Just thinking when it comes to like starting a business that's. That's never been done before. A lot of people will say like blue ocean or like find a blue ocean strategy rather than a red ocean, you know, that kind of thing. I think there's pros and cons, but if you can find something that no one else has done before, kind of like we have, I think it's, it's a lot more fun and it's, it's really fun to grow something from scratch where you're not comparing yourself to anything else. You're actually creating it. And it's not like, you know, when we were starting our pricing, it wasn't like I could go look like at a digital marketing agency and what are they pricing or what's a social media marketing agency doing? Like, I'm just creating it based on what I really believe we should price or what our services should look like. And I think that comes into any business is that you can quickly start to compare yourself to what everyone else is doing and that's going to stunt your growth. So if you're just getting into business or if you're rebranding or pivoting, like sit down and think about what you really want to do and just do it and don't look at whatever everyone else is doing because it it, it just gets too confusing. And I did that for years. And I think that's why I couldn't grow my agency was because I was trying to do something that someone else already did. But the second that you find kind of that flow, like we were talking about, and you're just creating it just go with what you think and don't look at what everyone else is doing
1: I love that and I totally agree I will say it can be tough it's like you I I, don't, I and I felt this it's like almost like a nausea of oh feeling and so I'm afraid of heights like I'm a big baby <laughs> even just climbing a ladder so yeah. like that feeling of like being on a lot of like, Oh shit. It's like, to me, I've, I have felt that way when, when I've looked at stuff or maybe attempted things in business where I'm like, dude, there is no other blueprint for it because it is comforting doing what you already know because you've got that baseline. So, I mean, is that something that you've overcome or just that you, you, when you truly see the opportunity And and the the possibilities, maybe that just goes away because you're like, no, no one's done this. And it can be massive because of the opportunity. I can see it going both ways.
0: Yeah, I think fear stops a lot of people, obviously. And I'm fearful of things. We all are. But I think the biggest thing is, is to trust yourself. And until you trust yourself, you'll never be able to take that leap of faith or, quit your job or start a business or just trust yourself to grow anything. And I think that if you can find a way to just get rid of the noise and just start, like, just put, like, it doesn't matter if you don't make $10,000 the first month or $20,000 by quarter three, you know, you just have to start and you have to learn and you have to make mistakes and you have to fumble and you have to trust yourself that you're gonna be okay and that you're gonna get back up and no one is there to tell you what to do. Like as a business owner, you have to be the one to do it and to lead the pact. And just trusting yourself I think is the hardest thing, but once you do, you'll you'll just find your way.
1: Yeah, it's a very, very liberating feeling which again, I can attest to from experience because I was that opposite. And it's almost like you can, you can take something that is generally good advice and, and execute it and not get any of the good results. Like it, it would be good advice to tell somebody new, like, hey, ask people who are smarter than you more experienced and get their opinions on stuff, right? And that's what I did in my first business all the time. And then I realized, wait, I'm doing what they're saying and I'm still fucking up or it's not leading to the end result that I want. And that was a a pivotal moment. And I've had to remind myself of this constantly. Like, I mean, this was like eight years ago. And like, well, at a certain point, like I gotta just think what I think is best and go with it. And what sucks is that you have, when you do that, you have no one to blame but yourself. And it's like the, the least sexy mantra ever. And this is why I feel like, you know, Anyone that hears that you're like, shut up. It's like, hey, you know, take responsibility. There's actually a lot of freeing power in that. It sucks to hear, especially if you're tri- like, you know, from, I, it, it sounds like a thing your parents tell you, which it is, but if, 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 if you can take responsibility it means you have, the pa- if you have power to change. If, if you don't have the responsibility, well, someone else has all the power that kind of, and that yeah. sucks too. So when, and that's, that's the issue of being your own boss If someone's telling you what to do and it doesn't go right, you can blame them. But if it's your decision, you have to blame yourself, so to speak. But then that leads to trusting yourself and then learning and self-correcting. And that's how you grow. And that's, yeah. Yeah. All all that that you said was just, it resonated with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I think people like, and I catch myself doing it and other people, but like you might start someone and be like, I'm gonna do this. I think it's a really good idea. But then you'd be like, but what happens when this happens and this happens, like you're already 20 steps ahead. And it's like, you're not even like, you'll deal with that when it happens. Just do the small little things to get you there. And like, even like our team now will will be brainstorming and someone might say, but what are we going to do when this happens? It's like, we are so far from that. Like we will, I'll give you an answer in six months, (laughs) just do it, you know? And I think you have to just force yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, and you kind of underestimate your own ability to self-correct and and self-correct in the moment. And it's almost like accepting the mistakes and where things go wrong and that you will be able to self-correct and and make adjustments because I don't think anyone's really had a clear path from point A to point B when it comes to business, when it comes to executing a new idea or any kind of new launch, but just trust your your ability to learn and correct and that you're not going to hit, you know, I use baseball metaphors, even though I'm not like the biggest baseball. You're not going to be batting a thousand. You're not going to be hitting a home run every time. You're going to strike out some. And it's like, well, if your wins outweigh your losses, it's like that's kind of normal. And that's almost to be expected. But then when it comes to it, you never, you, at least for me, I'm like, I don't ever want to have something that's not successful because it's not a good feeling. But it's like, wait, all I need is like a couple things that really go well it's all it's all you need for like any any kind of thing exactly I, I love i love your your strat your your strategy in business i love what you're doing i'm learning a ton from you just kind of seeing what you're doing and from this call so i really really appreciate your time yeah
0: great conversation yeah we share the same values paul
1: <laughs> i think yeah we we certainly do i think that's why we get along and your staff any anytime i've met someone that, that works with you your contractors employees Mike man, these folks are super cool. (laughs) So yeah, it's it's the alignment of of values and, and just approach to things.